Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So, Melissa, do you ever? this is one of those days where I, I just, after the morning I've had, I am delighted to start the program. It Go was ahead. one of the, well, so, okay, over the weekend, I'm in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I am sitting, minding my own business, watching horse racing at, at New York, New York. And all, and I, I'm not even eating anything. I was actually sitting next to my brother-in-law. I am drinking a Corona beer. And all of a sudden, I feel something funny in my mouth. And I, I'm, I'm not even chewing on anything, but I know I have done something to a tooth. And I'm going, oh, I'm, I'm just no. drinking a beer. Yeah. And of course, you're, you're like in Las Vegas. Of now, course. Now, next Friday, a week from Friday, I have an appointment with the dentist at 8 o'clock in the morning because they're putting a crown in on, on one side. So I'm thinking, okay, I've done something and I can feel that there's something odd. This is on the upper side. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I can wait till next Friday and have them look at it. But then I'm like, yeah, I don't want to make things worse. And it's not hurting, but I don't want it to hurt. So I called up my, my dentist yesterday, and he's been my dentist for 30-some years. And Paul's a great guy, and he was able to get me in at 8 o'clock oh, this good. morning. Okay. So I get in at 8 o'clock. So this is how my day starts. You get up early. Do your show prep, go to the dentist, and he says, "Yeah, you you just you you sheared off a corner of your your tooth, and you know I don't know how you did it, but you know you you did it." And so he says, "No, I, I can I can fix that." So I still have the Novocaine still hasn't worn off. I was going to say your face looks fine. It doesn't yeah, no, look. No, my face is fine. And yeah. if somebody's listening to this, thinking he sounds like he's drunk. No, I really haven't been <laughs> drinking. It's still I just got a shot of Novocaine at no, eight o'clock in the morning, don't and it's worry. still there's some napkins over right, there. I can right. grab the drool <laughs> yeah, later. It's, it's, it still <laughs> hasn't quite worn off mm-hmm. yet. But so I'm at the dentist. So I spent it. It took about forty five minutes, but they sure. fixed the tooth. So that, that that that's all good. No worries. Um, so then I, I come come here and I'm starting to prepare phone rings well it's my tax accountant who has now finished my tax returns sort of and wants to spend the next 20 minutes talking about the tax returns and questions about that and I'm thinking okay I, I've now gone from the dentist <laughs> to the we're, we're figuring out the tax returns and no I am I am not getting a big refund <laughs> you know so I'm going through all this kind of stuff and it's like all right I'm ready for the show to start I'm ready to go to work and yeah. do that stuff well don't look at your phone during the show because right. there could be other people you know, I can call you I'll right who, right exactly you know who knows what else it is yeah. going on but so it's been the dentist and it's been the tax accountant and now we're ready to start the show so it's always a lot of fun but no I'm going to survive all of this I want to pick up from my conversation with, with Steve Scafidi left off just a couple of minutes ago that this Jussie Smollett thing and, and I have to tell you just from my perspective having prosecuted lots of cases over the years there's Something that doesn't smell right about this situation. I mean, everybody knows that the deal. Jussie Smollett, who is the Empire actor, he is African American and he is gay. All right, he reports that he's the victim of this attack um, late at night on like the coldest day of the winter in the middle of the evening. Chicago police were always skeptical of this, that, that it just it did not make sense. But nevertheless, this got all the attention. 
it, the, the, whole, the timing and there were inconsistencies and things like that. And then the, these two guys, who one of whom is a personal trainer for Smollett, they emerge and they say, hey, this was all concocted by him and we were paid off by him to do this. And who knows why he wanted this done? Was he trying to get attention to get a better deal? I don't know. So after, after that, and of course, whenever you have a, a prominent person, and in this particular case, he's African-American, he's gay, he says he's beaten up on the streets of Chicago, that that gets appropriately so that gets a ton of attention here's this guy that's victim of a hate crime so the authorities they start investigating they begin to have all sorts of questions about this and they determine that it's all a hoax that that Smollett had set this whole thing up you may recall the Chicago police superintendent who is African-American himself doing this um, this press conference he's he is angry I was going to use another phrase but I'll use the word angry he's angry because this, you know, when you have, if you have people, whether it's false claims of sexual assault or false claims of hate crimes or whatever, you, you set everything back because people say, well, okay, well, why should we believe the next victim if, if this person was, was lying about it? And he was, the police superintendent, incredibly angry. He outlined this, this case right before I started the program today. I, I was looking at the offer of proof that the city of Chicago offered after this case was originally charged. And it seems to me it's this incredibly compelling litany of evidence that this was, was all faked. All right, so the matter is presented to a grand jury in Chicago, and the grand jury comes down ultimately with a 16-count indictment alleging various acts of disorderly conduct, etc. These are all three-year felonies. Smollett appears. He's released on a $100,000 bond, of which you have to post 10%. So he's put $10,000 cash down, and the matter is proceeding to trial. A couple hours ago, in a, a decision that I think has shocked a number of people, without explanation, the prosecutors announced that they are dropping the charges. Now, there's a little bit of semantics going on as to whether there was some plea agreement or not. They, they say they're dropping the charges. They say that he's going to do community service, and they say he's agreed to forfeit the bond that he posted. It was a $100,000 bond, but he only put $10,000 up. So he's forfeiting $10,000. Now, again, there's the semantics going back and forth. Well, there wasn't a plea agreement. Well, he, but he agreed to pay $10,000. They have apparently dropped the charges, and the charges have been dismissed. The report um, from the state's attorney's office uh, about an hour and a half ago and the state attorneys, that, that's like a DA. That's the equivalent in Wisconsin of the district attorney. There's a state's attorney. That's like the DA for Cook County. So John Chisholm, if they use that term, John Chisholm, the Milwaukee County DA, if he were in Chicago, he would be the Cook County district attorney. Um, the state's attorney, the office says, after reviewing all of the facts and circumstances of the case, including Mr. Smollett's volunteer service in the community and agreement to forfeit his bond to the city of Chicago, we believe this outcome is a just disposition and appropriate resolution of the case. So in other words, he pays $10,000 and he walks away. TMZ is reporting that the Chicago police were not consulted per se, but they were told that the Cook County state's attorney's office was dropping the case because Smollett, even if he had been convicted, would have only gotten community service 
and he's already performed community service, so there's no point in prosecuting him. Hmm. Uh, TMZ says Chicago police are furious and feel something untoward is going on. Uh, the uh, So far, I, neither the mayor's office or the police department has issued a statement. Apparently, they're going to be having a, a news conference a little bit later on. But the, the reports are is that everybody knows how the, the police feel about this. So what do we make of all this? And I, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know. But this stinks to high heaven. It is almost unprecedented to drop a case, to just give away a case, after you have presented the matter to the grand jury, and a grand jury has returned a multiple-count indictment. It's just not done. Now, it might be that early on, if you're a prosecutor and you're reviewing a case, you look at it and you say, look, there's nothing to be gained by prosecuting this case, et cetera, et cetera, or maybe the problems of proof are so great that I, I shouldn't have present the matter to a grand jury. But once you make that decision to re- present the matter to a grand jury and they return an indictment to just give the case away, completely drop it, is almost unprecedented unless something has has really gone wrong, unless you somehow become convinced that I've got the wrong person or or whatever, or or these charges are all wrong. But you you listen to the Chicago police superintendent, you look at the litany of evidence they've made public, and it's difficult to figure out how the state's attorney could have concluded that the indictment was all wrong. So that is almost unprecedented. I would also say that it would be almost completely unprecedented that if you were going to do something like this, to do it without extensive cooperation with and collaboration with the law enforcement authority. For example, if I was handling a case and I I decided for whatever reason after we've indicted that I, I think it's time to drop it, well, I'm going to be having lengthy meetings with the FBI or the DEA or whoever brought the case, and we're going to be hashing this out, and I'm going to be explaining my position, and they would probably appropriately say, well, Jeff, what, what's changed? You know, three weeks ago, you know, you were all, you know, gung-ho. We had a 16-count indictment. Why would you give this away? But there would be extensive conversation about it, and I don't get the sense that that happened here. So I, I will tell you, if you're, if you're looking for any sort of clarity about this, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what is going on, virtually unprecedented. My initial reaction, and look, I, I don't know Jesse Smollett. I, I don't care one way or the other, except if this guy really did you know, hire people and fake an attack and do all this stuff to allow him to walk, essentially by only paying a $10,000 fine, is an absolute outrage, if that's the case. If, on the other hand, this this was a bad indictment. Something went wrong, and they are now completely and totally convinced that this guy is innocent, and all this evidence that we thought we had, it hasn't worked out. Well, then I think the state's attorney's office owes it to the public to explain in great detail why it is that they made this decision. Interestingly, also, the court files have now been sealed. They've been sealed, so clearly there is an effort to keep the public from understanding exactly what has gone on here. I Maybe we'll talk about this more in detail later on today if that press conference is held. I am fascinated to hear 
what, if anything, the Chicago police superintendent, who was so very, very adamant that this guy, you know, had done this, what what he is going to say now because, I mean, the, the case is gone. My initial reaction is there, there's something fishy going on here one way or, or the other. This just does not happen in this fashion in real life. And is this a situation where you have a celebrity who's kind of buying his way, and he's only paying $10,000, who's buying his way out of this? We don't know right now more questions than answers about this. But if if you're looking for anybody to just give clarity to what's going on here, um, there's no clarity to be found right now. When we come back, speaking of high-profile matters, does the mainstream media owe the president an apology? We will discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. So very glad to have you with us. This week's Home Improvement Showcase expert is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Perfectly beautiful. All right. Here is the deal. Now, I understand the investigation of whether or not President Trump engaged in a conspiracy with the Russian government to get himself elected. I understand why that is incredibly sexy. You know, you had Cold War era intrigue. You had shadowy meetings in Moscow. You had a a cast of recurring characters. You know, you had the Roger Stones of the world. He's got a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. I understand why it makes great theater. Also, because it was President Trump, you had a mainstream media that just despised him. There is no secret that among the mainstream media, and I'm talking about the major newspapers in this country, and I'm talking about the major TV stations, and certainly the majority of cable stations, what you have is you have reporters and commentators who don't like President Trump. You have the New York Times, which has seen its subscription base uh, digitally go through the roof because – People who don't like President Trump, they love the fact that the New York Times has its coverage slanted in a particular way, so they buy it. People go to MSNBC, and MSNBC on many nights does very, very well in the ratings because the people that hate President Trump, they want to go there. They want to see that type of coverage. And whether it's the New York Times or the Washington Post or MSNBC, they are giving their public what they want. All right, that's their business model, but let's face it, it it's not doesn't say much for journalism. All right, there's a story in the New York Times today that says, according to the White House, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, and MSNBC, hmm, big four, had published a combined 8,500 stories on the Russia probe. Um, They say that CNN would include the phrase amid Russia investigation, no matter what the topic, President Trump greets girls soccer team amid Russia investigation. It is very, very apparent that the the mainstream media, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, badly, badly, badly wanted something to happen. They wanted the Mueller probe to find that there was, in fact, a criminal conspiracy. They, you know, you had some of the late night comics, uh, John Oliver, you know, he's he's on. He's saying this is the beginning of the end. We've got him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, over and over again. And that has been the drumbeat for the better part of two years. Well, it now turns out that all that was 
was wrong, at least wrong to the extent that, oh, this Miller probe is going to lead to the the downfall of President Trump. It's going to lead to charges. We're going to find the smoking gun. Actually, it's turned out to be a nothing burger as far as at least collusion. Now, all right, you know, there's still this open question, I guess, you know, why did the president fire James Comey and things like that. But but I think everybody recognizes this investigation is over and it ended not with a bang, but a whimper, leaving a lot of the mainstream news outlets, the Washington Post of the world, the New York Times, the major networks, leaving them with egg on their face. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, does the mainstream media Do these various networks, do these talking heads who almost universally got this wrong, do they owe the president an apology? Do they owe the public a commitment to say, all right, we were wrong with our emphasis here. We were wrong with the spotlights of this. We apologize and we commit to do better in the future. Do they owe the public that? I know people in the media just recoil when they hear the concepts, fake news and stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is we've had two years where the coverage, I think, has been relentlessly slanted and in many measures relentlessly wrong. So does the media owe the president and the public an apology and a commitment to do better? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back to discuss in a couple minutes. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right, the New York Times, the executive editor, that guy named Dean Baquette, he says, well, we acknowledge we wrote a lot about Russia. I have no regrets. It's not our job to determine whether or not there was illegality. The executive editor of the Washington Post says, well, you know, our job is to bring facts to light. Others make determinations about prosecutable offenses. So mainstream media, the reaction, well, it's not our fault. Yes, we yes, we, we wrote and wrote and wrote about this. And yes, we obsessed about it. But it, it's not our fault that, well, you know, that didn't lead anywhere. Do they owe the president an apology? Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, I think that uh, the press actually owes the American public an apology. Uh, president has got pretty thick skin. He probably doesn't care. Uh, Wait, I'm sorry. Did I hear you say that this president, <laughs> Mike, let me stop. I, one thing I disagree with you at the bat, I don't think this president has thick skin. Well, that way I'm just saying that got he, it. he probably uh, doesn't care what they say. He's, uh, he's already just called call him on the carpet. But right. uh, the American public deserves an apology from the press because they put us through two years of BS that has nothing to do with whatever happened. Yeah, you know, well, and, and it's the thing that, I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, here, here's what bothers me the most about it. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I, every day I send out a link to some of the stories we're going to be talking about and offer some comments. I mean, here's what I said on, on Twitter. Um, I, I don't think the mainstream media owes the president an apology for its coverage. I do think, and I say this seriously, I think there needs to be a public acknowledgement that this was journalistic malpractice. And it's part of the reason that people distrust the mainstream media today. It's part of the thing that feeds into this fake news. 
the New York Times and the Washington Post and NBC and ABC and CBS, they had this narrative that was driven by their belief that President Trump is not a legit was not legitimately elected and that he's terrible and that he, he needs to be out of office. So that's that's the prism that they look at these stories through. In addition, there is the financial motive. And this is what journalism is a, is all about nowadays. Look, newspapers are struggling. There, there's no question about it. So if you're the New York Times, you're the Washington Post, what you're trying to do is figure out how to get people to read your newspaper or subscribe to it digitally. So I think what you are seeing happen more and more is I think you have a shaving and a shaping of the news to play to a particular base. Now, you might say to me, well, Jeff, isn't that what Fox News does? Yeah, it's what Fox News does. It's the Fox News model. Fox News focuses on stuff from a conservative side. MSNBC MSNBC, you know, their commentators, it is a very liberal thing. And, and that's, that's what they are doing. That's how they're selling ads. That's the way they're going about it. The New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, they are supposed to be journalistic outlets that play it straight. And I, for the life of me, don't believe they are that anymore. And there's a lot of reasons for it. But I think part of it, again, is just part of it is, is the financial motive. You're a reporter for the New York Times. All right, you want your job. You want more people to watch, to read you. And so what you do is, here, we're going to run with every story story we particularly can find. And by the way, we know what our audience wants. So, we're, you know, we're not going to write these stories suggesting that maybe, you know, this is overkill. So do you need to apologize to the president? No. But do you need to recognize that you got it wrong? I think yes, because I think a lot of the coverage here was, in retrospect, certainly, like I say, the phrase I would use is journalistic malpractice. And the thing that's kind of scary is this could happen to anybody. Now, I understand, you know, Trump brought it on himself because they didn't like President Trump and they don't like the fact that you want to talk about thin-skinned. You're never going to find anybody that's more thin-skinned than people who you know work in the media, whether they're reporters or TV commentators, who just aren't used to being called out. And maybe President Trump is unfair in some of the ways he calls people out. I don't think reporters are the enemy of the public or things like that. But I do think if you were trying to build credibility and restore credibility, it would go a long way towards if you just sort of looked and said, well, okay, maybe maybe we went into overkill here, and maybe we really didn't need 10, 10 articles on a daily basis, and maybe we should have been a little more questioning, and maybe we should have been a little bit more skeptical, and maybe on our opinion pages, it shouldn't have been, you know, 95% of the time all the anti-Trump stuff. A uh, number of texts here, Jeff. They should apologize, not only for this, but for squandering their constitutionally protected right of a free press. Um, Yeah, I think this is it. Another text, Jeff, the media has gotten it wrong too many times. All press, liberal and conservative, bought into the weapons of mass destruction and went uh, with a wrong war. The press has to apologize for more than this. That's what's wrong with this country. Lisa asks, is it possible to reset the journalistic integrity button? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it is or not. But but here's, 
I mean, here's the reality of all this. It's one thing for politicians to start saying stuff. It's another thing for the journalists to decide that they're going to get in bed with one side or another. And that's what happened here. And it's what went on for two years. And I understand, again, President Trump, by deciding that he's going to take on the media and the fake news and calling out reporters, and their response was, okay, well, we're going to go after him. But the bottom line is, in many cases, they got it wrong. And it was certainly, at, at best, it was incredible overkill for the way these stories were covered and the lack of, again, sort of discerning investigation that occurred here. Everybody wanted to see the president brought down. This was a nothing burger. Many of us thought for the last two years that this particular thing was a nothing burger. Now, I don't know if there's other stuff that President Trump did, but this particular thing, I think it was apparent for a long time that it wasn't going anywhere. But that's not what the tone of the coverage was, because people in the media, reporters and their bosses, didn't want it to be that way. They wanted this to be the next Watergate. This is how we're going to bring down Donald Trump. And it blew up in their face. When we come back, more communities consider stopping us from moving to a cashless society. Stick around. It's going to be an interesting conversation. More Jeff Wagner right after this. So glad to have you with us. Gru is on vacation today. Greg, who is filling in. Greg, how much cash do you have in your pocket today? Right now? Right now. How much cash Should do you have? Should I check? Hmm? It's not going to be much. Doo, 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 doo. $16. You have $16. Okay. Do you, is that, no, is that typical? I mean, do you, do you carry more cash than that typically or no? It depends if I've worked at the restaurant that I worked okay, at. Okay, so right. So, so if, if, right, if you've just, right, okay, so with that. But other, otherwise, do you particular do you typically use credit cards when you buy stuff? Uh, most likely, yeah. Most likely, yeah. Well, you're, you, are, you are of that age. You know, we talked about this a week or two ago. Um, I, I'm, in some respects, a dinosaur. Uh, do I have credit cards? Yes, I have credit cards. Do I use credit cards? Yes, particularly for large purposes, purchases. But I always have, I, I always carry at least a bit of, of cash. And for many, many things, I, I use that. If I go to the grocery store, I mean, and I'm buying, where, okay, so yesterday I stopped off on my way home at the, for the grocery store. My wife was at dinner with her sisters, so I was responsible for taking care of myself. And I bought a 12-pack of diet soda, and I bought some chili, and I bought flowers for my wife. So I buy those things that the tab comes to like 25 bucks, maybe 30 bucks, something, whatever it was. I, I paid for it with cash. If I were to go um, through a, a Burger Doodle drive-through or something, and, and, and order something, I would pay for it with cash. It would not occur to me to use a credit card for a purchase of two dollars or three dollars. I understand, though, that in some respects I am a dinosaur because more and more people do exactly that. My regular full-time producer, Gru, he never carries cash. If you find him with a dollar or two, it is unusual. He uses credit cards for everything. I had I pulled up a study. There's a survey by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco going back. Now, this is as of 2017, so this is a year and a half ago. They say that Americans use cash in about 30% of all transactions. Um, and of that, people people dish out cash for most purchases under 10 bucks. So 
at least as of 2017, the majority of people who make these small purchases, you go, you buy the newspaper and you buy a cup of coffee, they're, they're going to pay for it with cash. Well, here's where it's got interesting. There are a number of retailers, and, and including some, some big chains, who have gone cashless. They have decided that, all right, it's just more of a hassle to take cash. So I'm looking at this story on CNN uh, this morning, as a matter of fact. It talks about how Amazon Go stores nationwide, um, other types of stores, something called Sweet Green, Dos Toros, Taqueria, and other local stores around the country have decided, these are chains, that they can't get rid of cash fast enough. And many of these stores, going back to 2017, have eliminated taking cash. Now, why don't they want cash? Well, they argue that, first of all, going cashless is safer. You know, you're not a target for a holdup if, you know, you don't have cash in the place. It's cleaner for employees, and it's swifter in stores. Um, At one of these chains, they're talking about how employees oftentimes end up spending like up to two hours a day, you know, counting bills. They say that eliminating cash has helped reduce long lines and it's increased the number of transactions per hour. Plus, at this one chain, they say, hey, we stopped doing this and we don't need the armored cars anymore. We used to have like this bonded, you know, armored car service that would pull up. They would take the cash, you know, they transport. We don't need that anymore. It's just not worth the hassle. Now, interestingly, even though cash is is legal tender, there's no federal requirement that says that retailers have to accept cash. And so they retailers have their choice. If you go to Pfizer Forum, there is at least one I don't know if it's the vendor or if it's just a line. But when I was there a couple of weeks ago for a Bucks game, the line said, "Okay, this is this is a no cash line. Everybody in this line is going to be paying with credit cards." And I assume they're doing it because they figure it it's it's a faster way to do it. So this is Apparently, this is the trend. Some communities, and again, there's no federal requirement that you have to take cash, but some communities are kind of pushing back. And just last week, New Jersey, the New Jersey governor signed a state law banning cashless stores. And I told you a couple weeks ago about Philadelphia, and they had also they'd passed a city ordinance banning cashless stores. New Jersey has now gone statewide. They say you have to take cash. The argument, I guess, is that you discriminate against people that don't have credit cards. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is from the perspective of somebody who still uses cash for a lot of things. All right. And so I like the fact that, you know, I can, again, buy a newspaper or buy a cup of coffee or go into the burger doodle. I like the fact that I can pay for it with cash. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. Maybe I should be getting rewards points and all those things. But I don't like charging those those little purchases. But I guess my question is, do you think the government needs to step in if a vendor, if a store decides that, hey, we want to just take credit cards? Should they have that right? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the government's responsibility to tell Greg's Tacos that if he wants to only take cash, he only take credit cards, he doesn't have a right to do it? 
414-799-1620. Does government need to say, businesses, you've got to take cash? If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studio, this is News Radio WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. It's a rite of passage for every Brewers fan as the boys of summer are back to defend their NL Central Division crown. Don't miss WTMJ's opening day live as we broadcast live from Miller Park on opening day this Thursday. Hear from players, coaches, and Mr. Baseball himself. Bob Euchre as the Brewers get set to kick off their 2019 championship season. It's opening day live starting at 9 a.m. this Thursday, sponsored by Century Foods, Outdoor Living Unlimited, and Tayback Law. Dave and Racine. Hi, Dave. Greetings and salutations. Just wondering, uh, isn't there something on the dollar bill, you know, any dollar bill uh, that says for all debts, public and private? It is legal tender, yes. Yes, for all. So that, uh, and I'm just wondering, uh, isn't that, like refusing? To, isn't there anything about not taking of U.S. funds or something that? No, no. There, no thanks to God. No, you're right. I mean, it, it's uh, like it's. Uh, it says on a five dollar bill or a ten dollar bill or a twenty dollar bill or a fifty dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill. It says it's it's legal tender tender, but there's no federal requirement that merchants accept that. I mean, think of it like this. I mean, how many stores do you go into nowadays where you see, especially like small stores, well, they'll say we don't accept anything more than $20 bills. You know, it, no, we, we take no bills higher than 20 Well, that's legal. They're, they're allowed to do that. This is just the logical extension of that. They don't want to deal with cash at all. Um, now, I, again, I think this is, I, I think this is I, kind of a short-sighted policy, but I guess if the business says this is what we want to do and we're willing to recognize that, all right, if you, you know, we're the people who want to pay for cash or who don't have credit cards, who don't want credit cards, we realize that we're not going to have their business, but should a merchant have a right to do it? My answer would be yes. 414-799-1620. William on a car phone. William, you're on WTMJ. Hello. William. William. Okay, William on a car phone. Okay, let's try Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff. Um, I was I did a uh, event uh, with some uh, with some women uh, through a church there uh, earlier this month, and and a lot of the women uh, had credit cards and stuff like that. And for 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 stuff under like five bucks to to try to have uh, transponders, you know, to, uh, things to read the cards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Thought it was a pain in the butt, really, because. If you had the singles and stuff like that, you could move the line real fast, and these women are standing in line, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And, I mean, just like you just said, I think um, when they, uh, businesses uh, want you to have, uh, you know, uh, 20s or less uh, to, so they can make easy change, I think that I think that's a good idea. I think because uh, it, it's, it goes faster. The credit cards, even in the food stores and stuff, you stand in line, you stand in line, you wait, you wait, and then... And if that kind of thing has glitches and stuff right. like that, I mean, well, see, I, I mean, Tom, see, I agree with you, but at the same time, there's a lot of these stores that do this, and they say, "Hey, we've done studies, and we find that we can move the line a lot faster if somebody just pulls out their credit card, puts the credit card up, boom, the transaction occurs." As opposed to here, you give them a twenty dollar bill, and then the person has to open the cash drawer and and make change and come up with seventeen dollars and twenty eight cents. Now, again, I'm not sure I agree with that, and I'm the guy that would be paying with the $20 bill. But to me, the larger issue is, should you have a right—does a store have a right to do it? If a store makes the decision that we— 
we think it slows down our lines. Or, you know, we, at the end of the day, we think, you know, it, it, our employees have to take an hour counting all the cash and, you know, adding up all the change and things like that. And we think that is a distraction. I think a store should have a right to do it. I don't think the government should be going in and saying you can't go to, you know, a cashless thing. Also, I mean, the reality is I think that you're, you know, I think more and more this is the direction that we are moving in, moving forward. John in Kenosha. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Um, I own the My Suite franchise in Brookfield. And we take uh, rent payments from our, our members only via bank transfer. Okay. Um, we have 28 suites, and we collect rent weekly instead of monthly. It allows us to have a much smaller transaction. But if I had to collect rent, um, you know, you know, weekly <laughs> with cash or or any other means. I'd have to hire another person. I'd have to raise my prices. Right. And, and you don't want to yeah. fool around with taking personal checks because you you don't want something to bounce, and then that's a whole problem as well, right? Yeah, I was a paper boy a long time <laughs> ago, and and I do not want to go back to being one, raising <laughs> people for money. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it allows us to really be competitive, but it allows us to serve our market in this fashion. Right. So I think you know each business needs to be able to serve their respective market in the most efficient way possible. Right, and and maybe that means, John, that you're going that some people aren't going to be able to use your service, or it means that you're not going to be able to. You know, maybe there's somebody that you'd like to use the service, but because of this policy that they don't like it. All right, they're 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 not going to patronize you. But that's a business decision that you're you're making, and I agree. I I think it's your right based on whatever the needs are, the conditions of your business. Government should be telling you, no, John, you have to take cash if somebody wants to come in. That's it, not government's role. Exactly. No, thanks for the call. Um, we are, however, moving in this, we're moving towards a cashless society. I don't think there's any question about that. The question is, how fast and will government get in the way? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Melissa, this Jesse, Jesse Smollett case gets weirder and weirder. I know you were... Here's the breaking news. Now, of course, everybody knows the story. He's the, the actor who claimed that he was the victim of the, this hate crime. He was beaten up. His story never made any sense. I mean, that the, this supposedly happened in the middle of the night, on the coldest night of the year. Well, it turns out it, it wasn't... It wasn't by strangers. It was by his personal trainer and the personal trainer's brother. There were checks back and forth, and they said this was all orchestrated. So ultimately, you know, he was indicted, 16 counts. And as we were talking about at the top of the last hour, I, I said it's virtually unprecedented for a state's attorney, and that's that's like the equivalent of a district attorney in Milwaukee County. The Cook County district attorney is called a state's attorney. So it's just different terminology. But it is almost unprecedented for a, a district attorney or a state's attorney or a U.S. attorney having having had a grand jury return an indictment for them to just suddenly dismiss the charges. That that almost never happens. And if it does, normally there's a lengthy explanation that somehow you determine the guy was, was innocent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's also 
I would say probably absolutely unprecedented to do something that dramatic without having extensive conversations with the the investigating agency. You know, you know again, I, I just liken it back. If I was investigating a case and you presented the matter to the grand jury, especially a high-profile case like, like this, and especially one where the Chicago police superintendent goes on TV and gives a lengthy yeah. press conference talking about how this is a stain on the city and how outraged he is, it would be it i think it is unheard of for a prosecutor without consulting with the investigating agency to drop the charges. Yeah, and about right. a half hour ago, we, we heard them talking in a news conference where they are outraged. But another thing that I think we keep forgetting is that the initial start of all of this was that letter that was sent to Jesse Smollett, and they were saying that they think that, that he sent that letter to himself. Right. So it started with that, too. Right. And I think that's another you know key to the case as but well. But in, in any event, as you were referring to, I mean, now it gets stranger and stranger because I, I swear I've never seen anything like this yeah. because the, the mayor... And the police superintendent, they are speaking out. Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who's the former, you know, chief of staff for Barack Obama, had been the mayor of Chicago. He's outgoing, but he he holds a press conference and he calls it a whitewash of justice from top to bottom. This is not on the level. So the mayor of the city of Chicago is saying now at the start of the show, I said this whole thing stinks. The mayor of the city of Chicago is saying from the top to the bottom, this is not on the level. I have never, I can never recall having an elected official come out and essentially say something's something's wrong here. This is not on the level. And then you have the police superintendent who's up there. And, I mean, here's what he says. He says, um, do I think justice was served? No. Then the head of the investigation says that prosecutors gave no heads up to the police that the charges would be dropped. He also expressed concern that it looked like the police mishandled the investigation. He said detectives uncovered overwhelming evidence against Smollett. It's an, this is the detective who handled the investigation. It's, an abs, it's absolutely a punch in the gut. We worked very, very closely throughout our three-week investigation to the point where we arrested the offender. So for the state's attorney's office at this point to dismiss the charges without discussing this with us at all is just shocking. It, it, well, it's th- interesting. I find it interesting that he they they said we need to keep the bond, which was ten thousand dollars that goes to the city. So, I mean, obviously, there's more layers to this that we're not hearing all about. There wasn't a deal made, but there kind of was a deal. Well, made. Uh, yeah. See, that's why I don't get that. Right. I don't. Right. I mean, that's that's the other thing that's really weird about this. The the attorneys the attorneys for Smollett say, oh, they, they just completely dropped the charges. There was no plea agreement, but at the same time, there was an agreement to forfeit the bond, uh, which in this case case it's being reported as a hundred thousand dollars that was the bond but he only posted 10 grand i think Mm -hmm. he's just given up to 10 grand so there was an agreement to do that so there is again we're we're dealing with semantics here the smollett attorneys want to say well there's you know nothing to see here but this bigger point is this this whole thing just stinks to to high heaven um, I, I think at the very least. Now, you know, states' attorneys, district attorneys, they get to decide what they want to do. And if they decided, you know, we've reviewed the evidence in this particular case, and he's willing to essentially pay a $10,000 fine, and we we think that he's not going to get prison time, he's at best going to get some community service, so we think to save everybody trouble, we're just going to let him pay the $10,000 fine, 
in, in that case, normally you would still make him enter a plea. Obviously, the Smollett people, they want to be able to say he's been cleared and they don't want him to have a criminal record on his behalf. But this, this it is just, un, I, I want to keep saying it's unusual in the extreme, but, you know, when, when the mayor of the city of Chicago says from top to bottom, this is not on the level, I think, and I don't say this very often, I'm with Rahm Emanuel on this one. <laughs> it's just not on the level. Yeah, and I hope in the coming days that more information comes out on, on why this happened, how this happened, and, you know, I guess what sort of agreement was made. Right, or, or why, why, you, why, from the state's attorney's perspective, why did you make this agreement? Did you come to believe that you couldn't prove him guilty? Did you come to believe that, again, well, even if we... Even if we proved him guilty, $10,000 fine is all he's going to get. So we're, we're just doing this, and we don't want him to have a criminal record that might screw up his career. I mean, all those I, I guess you could look at, but just the way this has been handled, it does, in fact, stink to high heaven. And I understand from a perspective of the police officers who were outraged by this. If I was one of the cops that spent three weeks working on this case and tracking Absolutely. it down and determining yeah. that the guy lied. Now, I understand he, he maintains he didn't, but the evidence seems pretty overwhelming that he did. I would be mad as hell. Well, I think you another know? interesting fact is that the ten grand that they get to keep, that doesn't even come close. What, Like they said in the press conference, the mayor of Chicago said, that doesn't even come close to what the city has spent right. on this case. So, I mean, even if they do keep the ten grand as, you know, whatever, um, you know, right. the, the cost of the city is great as well. Right, and, you know, and again, sometimes... What happens is you you bring charges and then witnesses go south. You, you become convinced that you you know you you don't think you could go ahead and prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. But in, especially in a high profile case like this, if if that's the situation, you as a prosecutor you're having constant conversations with the investigating agent. So let's say you return an indict the grand jury returns an indictment. You're getting the case ready for trial, and all of a sudden. You know, witness X is kind of going south on you. And so then what you do is, is you sit down with the investigating agents. You say, OK, well, OK, what do we have? I'm, I'm not sure. I believe witness X. You know, what else do we have? It's an ongoing thing that you have with the, the agents. And, and ultimately, I mean, the prosecutor is the one that decides whether you go ahead to trial. But you do it in consultation with with the, the, the investigating agents. This one, again, Rahm Emanuel says from top to bottom, this is not on the level, and I, I think he's right. And you wonder whether, is this a situation where it, it's who Jussie Smollett knew, um, it, it's who he was, we don't want to run afoul of you know a particular community or whatever, we don't want to get on the wrong side of this Hollywood actor, um, here we're just going to, again, let him walk away. And I guess the fundamental question becomes, Melissa, if you did this— or I did this, you know, would that case be disposed of in the same way? And my guess is we would not be able to walk away by simply paying a $10,000 fine. No, it's interesting. Also, during the news conference, they brought up the fact of, and you mentioned privilege, or is it part of the community that he's involved in, Hollywood, whatever it is. But they also mentioned the whole college scandal that's going on as well. You know, if you have a lot of money, you can pay yourself out of things. Is this a case of that, too? We yeah. don't. We just don't know. Yeah, the the, the well-off and the famous, $10,000 seems like a small penalty for this. So that's the latest development. The mayor and the chief of police, again, they call him police superintendent, outraged over this decision it is it is bizarre in the extreme this is jeff wagner stick around jeff wagner is right around the corner 
This week's Home Improvement Showcase expert is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Perfectly beautiful. All right, as we have been telling you, opening day, Thursday, 9 until 12. I'll be with Steve Scafidi. We'll be in the dugout at Miller Park. Then I scoot outside to our tailgater, do my show for a half hour, and then turn it over to Bob Euchre and our other broadcasters as opening day kicks off. The Brewers versus the St. Louis Cardinals going to be a lot of fun. And again, it's great to have baseball back, but it brings back, you know, some of the issues that baseball has been wrestling with. Now, let me back into this. Uh, this will be the second year in a row that my, my, Buddy Evan and I, we we share we have a twenty game package. All right, we we got it last year, and that turns out to be just about right. So we we go to twenty games mostly together, and then you know I'll probably pick up another five or ten games that I, I go see as well, which turns out to be just about right. When when I was looking for our tickets last year, and I did it kind of late in the year, I, I or kind of early late in the off season, like a week or two, maybe three weeks before opening day. And I went on the internet and I was looking at the Brewers website about where I could get tickets in a particular price range. And they had me like they had me closer to the field, like row five, six, seven, eight, but kind of way down one of the one of the lines. And I called up the the team and I got one of the the sales guys and I said, look, I, I really I don't I'd rather be closer to home plate. I'm willing to sit further back, but I'd like to be closer to home plate. And actually, they, they had two seats on the aisle, kind of like 19th row right behind home plate. And, and so I took them. So that, that's where our seats are. Now, when I was talking to the sales rep, he said, just so you understand, Jeff, you're going to be looking through the screen. You are your the screen is going to be in front of you. And I said, I don't mind. that. That's fine. I don't have a problem with the screen. And as a matter of fact, you know, given how fast foul balls and all come back, I, I, I kind of like having that screen that's there. I, I don't know where the WTMJ tickets are, but we used to have two sets of four in the lower box seats. And one of the sets of four was on the third baseline, about 10 to 15 rows back. But it was just Okay, the the screen ends, and it's that next aisle right after the screen ends. And I'm I'm telling you, if you sit in those seats, they're great seats, but you really have to pay attention because those ball you you will get foul balls occasionally that that come back very very quickly. Now, all Major League Baseball has now extended the screens to the dugouts. Now, I bring this up because last summer, August 29th, there was a 79-year-old woman who was struck in the head by a foul ball while she was at Dodger Stadium watching the Dodgers play the San Diego Padres. The ball sizzled over the protective netting. She was in a loge-level seat behind home plate, and, you know, she, she got hit. And and she died. So she's up higher. She's behind home plate, but the net doesn't go up that high. Um, and and she, the the daughter is appropriately, you know, upset about this. They say they're in in shock about this. And then so the daughter starts saying, "Well, you know, I, I'm starting to look around, and I'm finding, you know, more and more people." who are injured by these different foul balls. Now, all 30 stadiums in Major League Baseball have netting that extends at least to the far edge of each dugout. But at the same time, you can put netting up higher, and many teams don't do that. Some do, but a lot of teams don't do it because, well, the argument is some people don't like looking through a net. So 
what they're doing now is there is this push and there's this move for public awareness to say, hey, you know, pressure needs to be put on Major League Baseball to extend the nets. And the argument is you can see right through the nets what's the big deal. Why isn't this being widened? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you like to see throughout Major League Baseball the netting expanded? And there's all sorts of ways that you could end up doing this. Run it down the baselines more. Run it up higher. So, I mean, okay, maybe people who are sitting in the loge level aren't quite as at risk of getting hit by a foul ball. You know, does that change the experience too much or is it just a matter of safety? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it ruin the experience of going to a major league game? And I know that you're probably going to go to a couple games this year. Does it ruin the experience if you have the netting? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I, I, I love this conversation. Here's my first two texts. This is from Chris. I hated this from the moment they started talking about it. Sit higher up if you're scared of potentially getting hit by a foul ball. It takes away from the experience and fun of the game. They need to take the netting down along the baselines. Okay, here's another one. Jeff, I sit behind home plate before the, I sit behind home plate. The netting is not an issue. I would rather have that and be safer than not have it and be severely injured. Andy in Muskego. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? Good. Okay, should they extend the netting? At, you know, that's one of those things where, um, as a fan, you need to be aware of your situation and where you're sitting, and that's part of the experience of baseball is to catch a foul ball. Yep. Or, you know, um, but, you know, I think that's just in society in general. I think we're looking for people to take care of us so we can do as little as possible um, but I honestly think, you know... Well, well let me ask you this, though. I mean, I, I, let me tell, I remember when Prince Fielder played here? I was at a playoff yep. game, and I, I, we were sitting down the third baseline, and we were a ways down the third baseline. Prince Fielder hit this screaming foul ball. Down, and we were pretty far down. We were, we were past third base. Right. Hit this screaming foul ball. And, I mean, people, people had to scatter. I could see how if you were, you know, even if you're paying attention to the game, you, you're not... You're not just focused on it without blinking. I could see how somebody who might have been, I don't know, reaching down in their purse or something to get out their lipstick or whatever, I could see how they could get a, have gotten hit. And, and that's, you know, exactly, that's a good point. Um, with those foul balls that are just a line drive, frozen rope, Yep. you know, um, even if you have a glove, um, that might be even tough for you to get up in time. Yeah. But I think that's um, almost a team-by-team basis that should make the decision um, and I think there should just also be certain areas, maybe. Okay. Um, you know, not because I, I, I've sat behind a fence or in that, and it, I don't like it as a. Okay. Well, no, and I appreciate. No, I mean, thank you. See, and I, I mean, I, I get it. I, I, I only raise that because I think as a practical matter, sometimes when you say, well, people need to pay attention. Yeah, people need to pay attention. But if you're at a ball game, you, you, you can't. 
pay attention every single second. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to turn your head to go, hey, beer guy, or you're going to go turn your head to, to look at your kid or make, open up the peanut. You, you can't, yes, you have to be aware, but all it takes is that split second. And again, I, I just remember this foul ball off the bat of Prince Fielder, and it, it came screaming at you, and, and you had a, a second or two to react, and, and it, it banged off the, this person like, who's kind of like behind me, and they, they weren't seriously injured. But I guess, is does it take away from the game? And you're right. If you put these nets up, you're not going to be able to get the foul balls. At least you're not going to be able to get them as often as you want. I guess the bottom line is right now, you do have to know your surroundings and you do have to realize that there's a chance that you could, in fact, get clipped. We're going to do this for one more segment. So if you're on the line, please hold on. It's kind of my homage to opening day. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us, Kelly in Waukesha. Hi, Kelly. Hi. All right. Extend the nets. What do you think? Yes. Um, I was there. I go to like 20, 30 games a year. And I remember, this was years ago, but I remember a girl got hit to the ball and took her eye out. She oh. has only eyesight in one eye now. Ooh. Well, and uh, well, if you're behind the nets, I mean, you, if they, you, you kind of don't even really see them. It's not like it's a blanket. I mean... I, yeah, no, yeah. You see, it's funny you say that because again, I my my seats are behind the net. I don't it. I I, I don't even notice it, and maybe that's exactly. just me. I I don't. I just don't notice it from a perspective. But okay, Kelly. Now let me let me ask you. The, the argument you get a lot of times, and one of our earlier callers mm-hmm. made it was, hey, if you go to the game. You know, you, you, you need to pay attention. You need to be aware of your surroundings. And if everybody was paying attention, the, the person you saw get hit in the face wouldn't have gotten hit in the face. Okay. You get a ball coming at you at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. You may not be able to react. I'm sorry. I understand that. You need to pay attention. But you can't. I'm sorry. If you, what if you turn into hey, beer right. guy, <laughs> right. or yeah. cotton candy, or you know whatever, right? Or you just freeze. I mean, again, that, that, there was a true story I was telling right before the break. I mean, I remember it was Prince Fielder. I remember exactly where we were sitting. We were down the third base line and some of the box seats. And he just hit this wicked screamer that got on you in just a second. I mean, it's almost coming at you so fast that even if you're paying attention, you just don't know how to. You don't know exactly how to react. You right, you exactly. freeze. Yeah. Yeah, so you think, I think it, you know what, have these people that are, oh, the, you know, destructive view, whatever, have them get a ball, you know, right. hit, hit right. towards them and to see what happens. Um, see that, how fast they want those fences to go up. Well, right. Thanks for calling. And again, it, it's just, I mean, I appreciate the idea that, you know, you need to be aware of your surroundings. And I, I think that's something that applies all the time. But I do... I do think it's unreasonable to say, well, you just have to you have to focus on the game every second. That's just not reality. You're going to be looking around. You're going to be talking to the person next to you. I mean, you're going to be doing those different types of things, and it, it can happen in an instant. Um, here's a text. Jeff, I bet my former boss wishes the netting was extended. He was at the game with his two young sons when a screamer came at them. He tried to cover them. He took a foul ball to the eye. After several surgeries, he's permanently blind in the eye. Extend the nets? Absolutely. Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I'm all for extending the nets because I do get used to them after like five minutes. Yeah. And then I would, and then rather than the remote chance of getting a foul ball, I would or catching one, I would rather have that peace of mind that checking a, a text is not going to result in an impromptu <laughs> visit to the dentist. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and, and it, yeah, and and it's it's interesting, Jeff, because like where I sit behind home plate, you still have a chance for a foul ball because. 
okay, there, there's balls that like land in the loge level behind us, and they come bouncing down. So I mean, you still you can still get them, but it's not like you have to worry that this is going to be on me in a second or two. Now, thanks for call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Ken, who is calling us from Illinois, Ken, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon. I have another uh, part of this that never, no one ever mentions. It's when a, fly, uh, a foul ball is going down the left field line, further back than third base, but low enough to where a guy can run in at full speed, pile in the 10 people after the ball. You can barely find a kid after they unpile them. <laughs> I mean, that, that's more dangerous than a baseball coming. A guy coming at full speed, diving into the stands with yeah. no regard for the people along the side. That's dangerous too, isn't it? Well, sure. I mean, and, and I mean again, and there's there's various dangers that you have, and then you have, I mean, look, you 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 can get hurt. There's people who scramble running after the foul balls and things like that. And I guess I just the, the reason I bring this up is it's the start of the baseball season. I noticed that like last year or was it two years ago they extended the netting so now it, it's still down low but it at least goes down to the end of of the dugout i have a, a friend of mine whose company has seats like in the front row i mean they're they're really good seats he hasn't invited me to sit there for a while but there's seats in the front row and he doesn't like looking through the net but at the same time, he's got this added element of safety. I think this is something that, that – see, and I don't think it's fair to say to the Brewers or the Dodgers or the Cubs or whatever that you have to you have to do this on your own. I think this is something that Major League Baseball should take a look at. I will say this. Hockey – remember there was a situation where, you know, hockey had one of these pucks that went flying out, hit and killed somebody, and, and hockey just said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to extend the protective netting. And, and you haven't seen a drop-off in attendance at hockey games. Now, I, I get that maybe pucks don't go flying in the crowd as much as, you know, baseball foul balls get go flying – but, you know, all you need is a couple of these bad situations, and then it's not just the lawsuits, but people start wondering about safety. I think this is something, it's not for the Brewers particularly, I think it's something that baseball's got to take a quick look at and maybe get some fan reaction to. As for me, I would rather be behind the net, even in the high-priced seats, than I would risk the fact that I'm, I'm going to catch a screamer in the face. But that's just me. When we come back... The new governor of the state of Wisconsin doesn't think you're paying enough in gas tax. We'll discuss. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Speaking of baseball, it's a rite of passage for every Brewers fan as the boys of summer are back to defend their National League Central Division crown. Don't miss WTMJ's opening day live as we broadcast live from Miller Park on opening day this Thursday. Uh, Steve Scafidi and I will be in the dugout together this year. Hear from players, coaches, and Mr. Baseball himself, Bob Euchre, as the Brewers get set to kick off their 2019 championship season. It's opening day live, starting at 9 a.m. this Thursday. Went out to Miller Park yesterday, picked out, picked up my press credential. So, yeah, I'm all set with that. It's sponsored by Century Foods, Outdoor Living Unlimited, and Tayback Law. All right, one week from today. Mark your calendars. I come this way but once. Mark your calendars. It is an election day. Jeff, that's April 2nd. What do you mean there's an election day? Yes, there is an election day. If you live in Milwaukee County, 
you will have a choice. Uh, there's a number of things on the ballot, including um, at least one contested circuit judge race. If you live in Ozaki County, there's at least there's if you live in Mequon, there's a race for mayor. Uh, Ozaki County, there's one contested circuit judge race. You can hear at least one of the candidates is running ads uh, on our air right now. Um, and and for all of us, everybody, at least all those of us who live in the state of Wisconsin, there is a state Supreme Court race. Uh, you could not have two more ideologically different candidates. The state Supreme Court right now, four, cons- there's seven members, four conservatives, three liberals. Matter of fact, a liberal just won a, a race last year. One of the liberals, the chief ju- former Chief Justice, Shirley Abramson, she is retiring. She's been on the court for decades. She's a liberal icon in Wisconsin. So this is a race to replace her. The left in Wisconsin is energized following the election of Tony Evers. They think that they have this race in the bag. And let me be real clear here. The left in Wisconsin badly, badly, badly wants to take control of the state Supreme Court. And the strategy is you pick up, you hold on, you pick up this seat, you hold on to this seat, the Abramson seat, and then next year you go after Justice Kelly, who's one of the conservatives. You win those two races and boom, you now have a, a working majority of the state Supreme Court. So what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of stuff. It probably means no Act 10. It means that every ridiculous decision that comes out of Dane County Circuit Court probably ends up becoming the law of the state. It means, well, I think it means a lot of stuff, almost none of which would be good for law-abiding citizens. That is my analysis of this. And that's why this election is so critical. Now, there's two candidates running. One is the liberal candidate. Her name is Lisa Neubauer. She's been on an appeals court for a handful of years. She, before that, was a partner at a big law firm. Her husband, she's got huge Democratic Party ties. She is the liberal candidate. Her husband was the former chairman of the state Democratic Party. Her daughter is a Democratic state representative. She is the liberal candidate. She is the liberal icon that they hope will replace Shirley Abramson. She has been supported heavily by outside money. Um, over $1.2 million in spending from these outside groups. And it's really been interesting to me because, you know, all the good government groups, the people that just, the, the goo-goos, the people that just denounce the role of money in politics, interesting how when it's a liberal candidate that's getting all the money spent for them, well, there, there's nothing. There, there's no outrage. It's silence. When the conservative has all the money, well, that's a different dynamic. Um, up until recently, uh, groups, and, and, it, and it starts with this Greater Wisconsin Committee. I've talked about them before. They are the pond scum of Wisconsin politics. And, and there's two kinds of pond scum. There's the, the crusty green stuff on, on the top of the pond, and then there's the squishy brown stuff at the bottom of the pond. The Greater Wisconsin Committee is the squishy brown stuff at the bottom of the pond. I mean, they're, they're the one, ooh, you know, anything they touch, you just, you want to wipe it off and then immediately get it disinfected. Um, the Greater 
entire Wisconsin committee, and they're the ones that are running these ads, hate group, hate group, hate group, oh, Brian Hagedorn is the opponent, oh, he's re- he's supported by this hate group or whatever, etc. He's responsible, hate, 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 that's all you hear. That's the Greater Wisconsin Committee, $835,000 spent there. Eric Holder's group, um, $350,000 the left nationally badly, badly, badly wants to see Lisa Neubauer win. And until recently, there, there hasn't been a lot of um, simultaneous support for her opponent, Brian Hagedorn, who is a conservative attorney, got a great, compelling story um, about family life and like children they've adopted and things like that. And and Hagedorn, he's been called out for his religious beliefs and his religious blue beliefs because um, you know, in his personal life, he apparently subscribes to, you know, churches that teach that, oh, her, you know, heaven forbid, marriage is between a man and a woman. And as we've talked about this before, see, I don't care where you come down on the legal question of, you know, should you have same-sex marriage. The state, the U.S. Supreme Court says that's legal. So, okay, that that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you, you have a religion that teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. That doesn't mean that your religion is a hater. It's just that's what your you know, that's what your religion teaches. You know, the law is one thing. Your religious beliefs are another. But it's been hate, hate, hate. That's all you've heard. And you've heard, like, a, to the extent that you've had over a million dollars in sleazy, slimy, negative advertising put against Hagedorn. Well, um, the news is that now that's being responded. You, you've had this conservative group, the Republican State Leadership Committee, who's now come up, and apparently they're putting a million dollars into ads. That I, I, I heard the first ones, I don't know if it was yesterday or today on our air, but they're starting to put in ads, you know, touting, you know, Hagedorn. Uh, bottom line of all this is the left is energized. The left thinks that they are going to win this race in a walkover. And um, I, I think now you have some Republican groups that are starting to wake up and some conservative groups who are recognizing how important this is. Here, here's what I'm going to tell you here. Brian Hagedorn is, is a mainstream law and order justice. He judge. He would do a great job on the state Supreme Court. And for those of us who care about the rule of law, who believe, for example, that Act 10 was a good thing, who believe that, you know, right to work laws are are at least constitutional, and that, that's the whole issue, that the legislature has the right to pass them, who doesn't like the fact that every time you have the, the legislature pass a conservative piece of legislation, you have the left run to some Dane County circuit judge who then ends up overturning it. For those of us who don't want to be governed by a handful of very liberal judge, judges on the Dane County bench, it is important that the state Supreme Court keep a working conservative majority. And in this particular case, Brian Hagedorn, at least in my opinion, would be an outstanding Supreme Court justice. So the bottom line of all this is that a week from today, people need to turn out to the polls. I bring this up because I I know that this isn't on people's radar screen. You're thinking about your NCAA tournament brackets. You're thinking about opening day. You're thinking about where you're going to go for spring break. I, I understand all that. An election isn't on your radar screen. But that means more than ever, it's important for you to get out and vote. Because if you're looking, I don't know what the estimates are on turnout. This isn't going to be an 80% turnout. It's not going to be a 50% turnout. I don't know what the turnout's going to be. You know, my guess is probably around 20%, maybe a little bit more. But the point is, your vote matters. This race 
matters. And I know we talk about that a lot, but state Supreme Court races really do really do count a lot. Liberals in this state are energized, and I, I think you know there, there's a huge effort, at least from an electoral perspective. They haven't been able to block conservative initiatives. So what they're hoping to do is, hey, we're not going to be able to retake control of the state senate. We're not going to take control of the state assembly. But what we can do is we can get our liberal activist judges as justices on the state supreme court, and then. We can block all this stuff coming out of Madison. And the question is, do we want to live in that type of state? So I, I think if you ask me right now, Brian Hagedorn would be, he'd be an underdog. No, no question about it. He's been massively outspent thus far. That dynamic is starting to change. I think there's a lot of momentum building around the Hagedorn campaign. And I think a lot of people are just thinking, as oftentimes happens, you know, some of this stuff, oh, he's a hater. He's awful. He's awful. The politics of destruction, I think a lot of people are starting to see it's going too far. But the question is, are people going to get out and vote? We will know a week from today. But whatever you do, mark the date. Don't forget, there is a an election. And by the way, the polls are open now. You know, you can go out and you can early vote if you don't think you're going to be able to get to the polls next Tuesday. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. I I label this story with friends like these. Okay, Brian Kennedy is the mayor of Glendale. He is a big-time Democrat, ran unsuccessfully for Congress against Jim Sensenbrenner a couple times, wanted to be the Democratic Party state chairman, tried to get that, didn't get it. Big-time Democrat. He has been screwed over big time by the Evers administration. Interesting story in the paper. We've talked about this before. The state, without telling almost anybody, um, with the blessing of the city of Milwaukee, made the decision to take the the home for dangerous juveniles. You know, they're going to close Lincoln Hills. So they decided to put it essentially on the Glendale-Milwaukee border, on Tetonia and Mill Road, less than a thousand feet from my old middle school, Glen Hills Middle School, and they, they they didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell the people at Glendale didn't know about it. So the Democrat mayor, Tony Evers, kind of screwed him over. The uh, head of the Department of Corrections, Kevin Carr, and I've known Kevin Carr since he was back in the Sheriff's Department, he says, well, there's nothing we can do. What's done is done. Um, I'll try to work with you and other concerned parties as best I can to include you in the conversation, but we didn't include you when we decided that we were going to dump this home for dangerous juveniles right by your school within a hundred feet of your businesses. Sorry, Glendale, if you don't like it, too bad, so sad. So <laughs> meanwhile the, the mayor of Glendale is saying, Nobody even talked to us. I thought we got I thought we were buddies. I thought we were pals. And now you're dumping this, you know, essentially on my border. Admittedly it's in Milwaukee, but it's closer to Glendale than it is to most of Milwaukee. Um, the Evers administration says, you know, too bad. Sorry, pal. So Glendale has been messed over in a big way. Um, I don't know. With friends like those, who needs enemies? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One of the reasons stories like this anger me so much is it could happen to anyone. True story. I think it was the early part of last week. I, I come home and my, my wife is saying, you know, I did this. She said, I, I was really shook up today um, because I, I was I was running some errands. She went to visit her sister. It might have been two weeks ago. But she said, I, you know, and I was driving down this particular street in the North Shore 
and there was this car. I had the right of way. I'm driving. There's this car that's got to be going. She said the, the area, it's like 35 miles an hour. This car has got to be going 80 miles an hour. It blows through a stop sign, barely you know, misses me, swerves to avoid me, and then speeds off. And she said, I really, she said, I, I saw my life flash before my eyes. She said, it's just, it's a miracle that I didn't get you know, sideswiped by by this car, and they were going so fast that if this had happened, I, you know, it, it would have been it would have been all over. And she was visibly upset. And I, and you know, the truth of the matter is, I think any of us that drive around here can tell the, these stories uh, and on a regular basis. And in this particular case, this happened. What I'm about to tell you about happened Friday, early Friday morning, I, I guess. Um, just after 1.30 a.m. Now, here's the story, and, and here's the way it's being spun. Um, Milwaukee police officers on patrol in the 2100 block of West Orchard Street about 1.30 in the morning on March 27th. And what they see is they see this white SUV that that's speeding. They begin to try to catch up with it, to follow it, um, they see the vehicle turn onto Greenfield Avenue at South 23rd Street, but the, the vehicle is driving so fast that they decide we, we can't safely chase this car at this point in time. You know, it, it's going so fast, one thirty in the morning. Um, apparently, this is according to a criminal complaint, poll cameras in the area showed that the SUV made turns at intersections, eventually going eastbound on West Orchard Avenue, where in the intersection at 20th and Orchard, at a high rate of speed, it blows the stop sign, enters the intersection, and in a T-bone fashion, you know, hitting it with the side, drives directly into a Pontiac that was that had the right of way that was in the intersection. So high rate of speed, blows through the stop sign after fleeing from the police, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This Pontiac is uh, it's an Uber. It's being driven by an Uber driver. One the Uber driver is injured. One of there's two passengers, I guess, in the car. One of them is ejected and and dies. Okay, it dies as a result of this. So they're dead. All right, um, officers arrive on the scene. And they see this piece of work, Jesus Cardenas Torres, exiting the driver's side of the SUV. Now, this car, I'm looking at the pictures. This, you're, you're talking about both vehicles being just completely totaled. So this Jesus Cardenas Torres exits the driver's side of the SUV. Police take him into custody. A passenger in the SUV was removed by the police. Um, that person, identified as a juvenile, declined to talk to the police. Okay, so you've got the, this fatal crash. Now, here's some of the dazzling details about this. Jesus Cardenas Torres admits that he's admits that he was driving. Yep, yep, yep. I was I was driving the vehicle. He's 16 years old. 16 years old, out on the street, 1.30 in the morning on, what, the 22nd. So is that that's Friday, right? Friday morning early. 1.30 in the morning. He's 16 years old. All right. So he, he doesn't... Um, he doesn't have a driver's license. I don't think he ever had a driver's license. He says, yeah, he knows he's not allowed to drive. He apparently was pulled over on January 7th 
when he was driving again and given a citation for operating after suspension. But again, I don't think he ever had a driver's license in the first place. But regardless, he, he doesn't have a valid license. He's driving a car at a high rate of speed. He speeds through an intersection after fleeing from the cops, hits and causes a massive accident, and, and somebody is now dead. So he's 16 years old. He's been charged. All right. So, I mean, just, I guess, another evening in the city of Milwaukee with irresponsible people. But what really set me off about this is a story on Fox News about this because, well, let me share a portion of this with you. The aunt of the 16-year-old boy charged as an adult. Okay, so this is the aunt of the 16-year-old who, without a driver's license, blows through the stop sign at a high rate of speed, hits and kills one person. The aunt of a 16-year-old boy charged as an adult in connection with a crash that killed an Uber passenger on Friday said he's not responsible for the death of the woman. Um, he's looking at nine years in prison. Um, he's being held at the Vell Phillips Juvenile Justice Center. The case is being waived into adult court. His aunt said the accusations against him are false. He's innocent. He has no reason to be locked up. He has a baby and he has no reason to be without his father. The baby really needs his father. All right, okay, now let me just back up here. At the risk of being labeled this insensitive so-and-so, okay, you've got a 16-year-old who is driving at a high rate of speed at 1.30 in the morning, who shouldn't be out on the streets in the first place. He is apparently a, a father. Okay, so the aunt... Her justification is, well, why are we charging him with this? He's got a baby. He needs to be with his baby. Well, okay, well, pal, if you needed to be with your kid, maybe you shouldn't have been out on the roads driving at a high rate of speed at 1.30 in the morning. Um, the, the mother says, well, he, he's, this is the aunt, while acknowledging the fact that somebody's dead, uh, Cardinez Torres's aunt maintained her nephew is not to blame. He was not really driving. He was in the back seat. Now, of course, court records indicate that they saw him get out of the passenger, the driver's side of the car, and he said that he was driving and knew that he didn't have a license, but the aunt, well, he wasn't driving. He, he needs to be out of prison. I mean, I can't believe that they are prosecuting him. We just want to send him back to, we want to send him back so he can be with his baby. Well, here's the deal. The 22-year-old woman that this slimeball killed, She's not going to see another sunrise. You know, she's not going to be able to go back to her family. She's dead because of what this 16-year-old did. And I guess I find it insulting in the extreme that we're supposed to feel sorry for this kid who shouldn't have been driving, shouldn't have been on the road, shouldn't have been fleeing from police, and shouldn't have been running stop signs. And here's the bottom line of this. This, unfortunately is what goes on on a daily basis on the roads around here. And I guess this is one of the things that this could have been you. You could have been, now I don't know if you would have been in this particular intersection at 1.30 in the morning, but th- this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's 1.30 in the afternoon or 1.30 in the, eve- in the, um, in the morning. Th- this could happen to you. And my guess is I could open up the phone lines and we could take phone calls for the next 45 minutes from people who just in the last six months have near missed stories because they were where they were supposed to be. And somebody like this 16 year old punk drives at a high rate of speed through a stop sign, through a red light, whatever, and damn near kills them. 
my guess is we see this on a regular basis. So, all right, when this, this horrible thing happens, I guess the bottom line here is I don't care if he's 16. I don't care if he's got a child that needs its father. All I know is somebody is dead. And when they catch them, these are ones where the district attorney's office is completely right to charge them as adults. And hopefully, you know, if and when they are convicted, you're going to find a judge that's got some backbone who's not swayed by the fact that the 16-year-old who has caused the death of a 22-year-old woman is a father and the baby needs the father. And what they're going to do is treat him like the criminal that he is, if he is convicted, and send him to prison for every day imaginable. That's the only way. I don't look, I don't know if it's going to make people drive more safely, but the one thing I can guarantee is this guy won't be out on the streets for another nine years to blow through stop signs and kill people. That's not too much to ask. The aunt says, well, he just he belongs with his baby. Well, okay, yeah, he should have been with his baby at 1.30 in the morning. In that case, none of this would have happened. This is Jeff Wagner. Poor Jeff Wagner, right after this. We're back. It's a rite of passage for every Brewers fan. As the boys of summer, they're back to defend their National League Central Division crown. Don't miss WTMJ's opening day live as we broadcast live from Miller Park on opening day this Thursday. Hear from the players, the coaches, Mr. Baseball himself, Bob Euchre, as the Brewers get set to kick off their 2019 championship season. It's opening day live. It starts at 9 a.m. this Thursday, sponsored by Century Foods, Outdoor Living Unlimited, and Tayback Law. All right. During the election campaign, Governor Tony Evers, now this was the guy who said, well, I'm not planning any tax increases, and then immediately came out with a budget that raises taxes by $1.3 billion, and that is a conservative estimate as to how much he wants to raise taxes. During the the campaign, he said, well, I I think everything with regard to a gas tax needs to be on, on the table. And a number of us said, well, what exactly does that mean? And then you got a hum and a hum and a, I'm, I'm not willing to, to commit. Well, apparently the, the governor is now starting to commit. He wants to increase the gas tax. Now, right now in Wisconsin, the gas tax is 32.9 cents a gallon, and it's been frozen there for a while. There's also a federal gas tax of 18 cents a gallon. So what that means is, when you go, let's say you put 10 gallons in uh, on, on a regular fill-up, that means that, you know, of, let's see, 10 gallons, 50 cents a gallon, carry the zero. That means that five bucks. Five bucks of your 10-gallon fill-up go, goes to, to gas, 50 cents a gallon. All right, Evers wants to increase that. He wants to immediately bump the gas tax by eight cents a gallon. And then, okay, so this is... This is uh, 2019. By early 2021, so a year and a half from now or so, less than two years from now, he wants to then bump it an extra 1.6 cents. So he wants to get it to 42.5 cents a gallon by early 2016. So that means he's looking at about a dime tax increase. Then what he wants to do is he wants to restore indexing. Now, What happened for a number of years is politicians in Wisconsin didn't want to have to vote to increase the gas tax. So what they did is they had this thing, we're going to just automatically increase the gas tax, you know, every year. You know, every April, 
we're going to look at what inflation is, and we're just going to automatically bump the gas tax. That way, we'll continue to you know get more money from drivers, but we won't have to take a hard vote on it. And it was very, very popular with a lot of elected officials because, again, it generated more taxpayer revenue, but you didn't have to actually cast a vote to raise taxes. Well, that's what Evers wants to do. So he wants to raise the gas tax essentially a dime over the course of the next 18 months, bump it from 33 cents roughly to 42 and a half cents. On top of that, he wants then automatic increases every April. So if Evers got his way, uh, by early 2021, the gas tax, 42 and a half cents for the state tax, another 18 cents for the federal tax. So you would be paying approximately $6 for every, in tax, for every 10 gallon fill up. And the tax would continue to increase year after year after year after year. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand, believe me, I hear this all the time, I understand that people are frustrated, especially this time of year when you've got all these different potholes and things that are out there. And I understand that you need to have certain road improvements. So are you willing to pay essentially a dime more per gallon and then unspecified amounts moving forward? Do you support raising the gas tax? So all in, all done, sixty it, federal and state, you pay $0.60 cents a gallon, essentially, for every gallon of gas that you purchase. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Tony Evers, proposal out. He wants to raise the gas tax approximately $0.10 cents by early 2021. So by the time you add the federal tax in, it would be about 60 cents per gallon of tax. Then he wants automatic increases every year moving forward, every April. Marty in Milwaukee, you're on WTMJ. Marty. Yeah, hi, this is Marty. Jeff, hi. Hi. Hey, um, I'm all in favor of this tax because I do not have another understanding where we would get the money from to improve our roadway. If someone has a better answer than that, I don't know, but... We do have infrastructure that we have to keep on a positive note to be an attractive place in which to do business. So, yes, I agree. I don't like to pay the tax, but but how else are we, Jeff, going to survive and have a decent infrastructure? Well, let me ask you this. Why, why do you assume that you need more money? Because I see the roadways and I see that mm-hmm. it needs repairs. Yeah. Okay. Well, why do you assume? I guess why do you assume that that's that 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 pothole in the street that doesn't get prepared? Why do you assume that that's because there's not enough money? If we're not we're not talking necessarily potholes, okay. I think we're talking about major highways okay. that need to be updated and and brought into uh, into today's standards. Well, I'll, I mean, I mean, I, I raise these questions because I, I mean, see, it's it's interesting the way that that the the ball and the dialogue shifts, and I guess that 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 was that was my point here. I I am not convinced that if you look at the revenue that we are generating, that there's not enough money. I think if you look at the Department of Transportation and some of the spending we do and some of the big sloppy wet kisses that go out to the road builders lobby, I think the first place you start is saying before you talk about 
increases in the gas tax that's going to come out of consumers' pockets, I think the first thing you look at and say, okay, what, what's going on here? How much are we, we spending? And you mean to tell me that, you know, we entered into these contracts where we paid all this type of money and we got double billed and we got triple billed or we got this construction that we have to pay for again because the road turns out to be not right, you know, after two or three years. See, that's where I I think to me, that's where you start before you. And we and I I get it. We don't even want to talk about that anymore because there's just an assumption that, gee, what we have to do is we have to have we've, we've got to spend all this additional money. We've got to raise all this money. We don't have enough money. I'm not convinced that that is the correct premise. I mean, first of all, uh, the idea is, yes, do, do you need to make infrastructure improvements? Of, of course you do. Do you need to prioritize things? Of course you do. But what I think you see going on here is I think you've got a lot of politicians, and I say this about Republicans and Democrats, who are beholden to certain special interests like the road builders lobby. They don't want them angry. I mean, look what happened in the Scott Walker, Tony Evers election. You had these road builders groups. I mean, Scott Walker funneled a ton of money to these groups, but because he wouldn't give them everything they wanted, well, they started running these ads, blaming Scott Walker for the potholes. It was a sleazy sort of campaign tactic because, again, they wanted even more money. And, you know, I mean, look, the bottom line is when you take pigs, you put them at the trough, they're going to eat and eat and eat until the food is gone. I am just saying, all right, why why do you necessarily have to fill the trough till it's overflowing? I mean, maybe you can get by with what you already have. Now, maybe that means you got to scale back or delay a particular project. But I think that's what you do before you go out and you say, all right, we're going to have these massive projects and we're going to increase taxes. Marty, the one thing I agree with you on is for everybody who thinks that, well, gee, that, that pothole in front of my house that's just doing all this damage, if we increase the gas tax, that's going to change that. The reality is, I mean, if you believe that, just be sure to duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't get hurt. Because if you think raising that gas tax, suddenly all these potholes and stuff are going to get fixed, you are going to be sorely disappointed. That is something I can guarantee you. Would you want your boyfriend to be able to track you on your cell phone? Track me? Like, know where I'm at? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't care. Oh, okay. Because uh, I've never any place. Well, well no, you know, well, well, no it, it, it's kind of interesting because yeah. when, we when we were in Las Vegas, I, I'm with my my brother-in-law ken mm-hmm. and my wife and her sister they're they're uh, they're just you know, we're, we're sitting in new york new york you know and they're they're, they're wandering the streets yeah they're hanging and, out yeah they're, they're, they're hanging out they're just walking around vegas they're walking and stuff and i said huh wonder where the girls are and ken pulls out his phone he's like, wait a second well he pulls out his phone <laughs> and he's got this tracking thing yeah. he says oh they're they're down by I bellagio mean, okay that is kind of creepy they're, they're down but... by bellagio and i'm going they're down by bellagio so, yeah we've, we've got this app and she can track where i am and i can track where her she is and and you know fran's with her and they're, they're down there <laughs> well and i mean I'm, i guess that kind of takes the question out of honey where are you <laughs> well, that, i guess <laughs> well, well that's it and the reason i ask is i just got this i got this note that popped up on one of the different screens i have here and and my, my wife had sent me this thing saying okay if it, it, it's like this note saying if you want to track where yeah. where francis <laughs> wagner is here you you can just fill this out and you can follow her on iCloud. Isn't that kind of weird like a tracking she... device for your spouse well, or, your, or your partner or it, something it is <laughs> yeah i mean and i i guess i mean on the I one mean, hand it is a little creepy but i mean if, I, well if, sure and it's handy and stuff. i don't know you don't, if you i don't, would care but well right you don't have and i guess you don't have to worry about what time somebody's going to yeah. come home or, or something now interestingly 
She's offering to let me track where she is. She's not asking me to fill out the app to let her track where I am. And, and I don't. That could be kind of fun. In a way, what are you doing at Target for so long? Well, that's, that's, that, <laughs> you know, what well, are that, you getting there? That, right, that would be exactly be it. But I'm trying to. I got I mean, I think technology is great, and I. And again, you're, I'm. I'm back with the same premise. You are. I, I don't. Well, I don't my care, life but, is an open book. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> it's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going anywhere that I'm embarrassed. That I'm yeah. hiding or I'm embarrassed to admit that. Or I'm what there. if it's like in the house? You're in the bathroom for a really long time, <laughs> and they wonder where you're at. Well, our house isn't. Our house isn't that big. I mean, <laughs> okay, you, you well, could tell that. You're, you're coming out of there. Or honey, something? where are you? But oh it, wait, let I, me look at my app. But <laughs> but it, it is. It is. I mean, I, I find myself just kind of thinking this through. And again, there's there's nothing to hide and right. stuff, but. But it is this idea, and it really, it did kind of like sort of freak me out in a way. Oh, here, I know exactly where they are. They're down by Bellagio, and you know, and, and you can follow like where they, they went. It's like mean, creepy track- new technology. It, it is. It, it is. And, and even though, and I guess the argument would be, if you have nothing to hide, why do you care? And and, and that, that does have an appeal to me, and I do understand how it could be, you know, like a useful sort of thing if you're... You're going out for dinner. You're preparing mm-hmm. dinner or something, and you want to. I don't want to call. I just want to know where he is. Oh, he's still on the south side or whatever. Yeah, I got to think that one through. You don't. You wouldn't have a problem. With I would it, have I a problem with it, but I don't think I would use it. You know, I don't. Th- I mean, I sure. It's oh, available. oh, yes, you would. Well, if you I, had it, you'd if be you using had it. it you, and I <laughs> think there, there's a thing too. I mean, you could get obsessed with. I wonder where they're at. Like, ah, you know, or yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I do. I, I, I got to think this one through. Another I, time waster. Right. Got it. Well, well, exactly. It's got it. Like, yeah. like follow where you yeah you follow me around and your life would be extremely <laughs> it would be extremely well, can boring you, i wonder if you can have more than one people on the one more than one person on this app where i can you know you have the app and <laughs> fran knows where you're at and you know maybe you're oh i think you could i think yeah, you could follow i, I mean could... i think you could follow multiple people oh, i mean that, as long as they're willing to agree to it be like you know a little game or something we're in the we're in the world is <laughs> jeff Steph today Wagner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, well, uh, well, yeah. Oh, well, I'm not sure I want my wife doing it. Much less, no offense, because I love you, Melissa. But I'm yeah. not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I want my wife doing that. You, you could put that up there. Where Jeff Wagner is? Yeah, let's uh, let's check it out. Why is he? Why is he down there? I don't know. I just got to think that through. I yeah. was just wondering. Hey, when we come back, all right. During that last segment, people were saying, "Well, okay, if you got to fix the roads, you know, and, and you don't want to raise the gas tax, you know, what would you suggest?" Let me tell you what one city is suggesting, and then we're going to discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. We're back. This week's home improvement showcase expert, Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Perfectly beautiful. Number of people emailing me or texting me about the the track your spouse or your friends app. I I understand how it could be useful. And again, I I got nothing to hide. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure I want people to just be able to know me that easily. You know, if if somebody I care about wants to know where I am, they can call me on the phone and I will be glad to answer. Journal Sentinel has this interesting piece. Opening day for the Brewers is coming up Thursday. Uh their their April schedule is just a killer. I hope this team is ready to go because you you can't win a pennant in April, but you can lose a pennant in April. And, and get this. Okay, they, I didn't realize this. They, the teams in their division, the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Pirates, the Reds, they play them each 19 times. The Cardinals, you know, historically a powerhouse. They've made some upgrades. Most of the experts think that the National League division, the Central, is going to be between the Cubs, the Cardinals, and, and the Brewers. Uh, the, the Brewers and the Cardinals, they play 19 times in the whole season. They play 10 times. Um, in in early, late March and early April, ten games, ten of the nineteen games in essentially the first month of the season. On top of that, 
So 10 of the 19 games against the Cardinals, they've got three games against the Cubs, and then they've got a week trip to Los Angeles where they play all seven games. They play, they play the California Angels in Anaheim. They play the Los Angeles Dodgers away, and then they play the Dodgers at home. So, and, and that'll be it for the year. So by the end of April, they will have played the Dodgers, and they, they won't see them again. So you've got the Dodgers, you've got the Cubs, you've got the Cardinals, um, and you've got the California Angels. That's that's a brutal start to the season. Now, there's some other games sprinkled in as well, but um, I hope, I hope, hope, hope this team is ready because, you know, once you get through April, I think the schedule lightens up a little bit, but you'd hate to see them You'd hate to see them come out and, and drop a bunch of games and be way far behind, but uh, they've got a challenge. All right. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a link to this story because I find it so intriguing. Sometimes you've got to think outside the box when it, it comes to you know, paying for stuff. And we were talking about the gas tax. And, and the general perception is, well, of course, we need more money, so how else do you raise money other than the gas tax? New York... New York City, particularly Manhattan, is about to become the first city in the country that raises money for the roads and for the subways and for the buses by something called congestion pricing. Hmm. I had never heard this term. Apparently, they do it in some cities in Europe, but we don't do it anywhere in the United States, except now they're going to start doing it in, in New York. What this is is it puts electronic tolls in place for drivers entering the busiest stretches of Manhattan. So it's essentially local toll roads. So let's think about let's think about Milwaukee County, for example. Okay, what are what are some of our busiest roads? Well, maybe it's Lincoln Memorial Drive in the summer. You know, everybody wants to drive down by the lakefront. So maybe because, you know, summer night you know, a hot night in July, you know, you want to talk about congestion, it's down at the lakefront, people driving on Lincoln Memorial Drive. So there would be an electronic toll that you would have to pay if you were going to drive there. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's it's Miller Parkway, maybe it's Michigan Street by Summerfest. I don't know. Imagine the busiest areas in, say, Milwaukee County. Port Washington Road, Capitol Drive, you name it, identify the busiest places, not every place, but the busiest place, and then you essentially have electronic tolls for those areas. This has generated in Europe a ton of money, and they're going to start doing it in New York. Originally, there was some opposition, but now they're saying, hey, we need the money, and we think that maybe this is the fairest way to go. Let's focus on the people who are, you know, driving. Let's focus on the most congested areas and let's charge people who want to drive in those areas. Plus, they say maybe one of the side effects and one of the benefits of this is maybe it will encourage fewer and fewer people to drive if they want to avoid the toll. In a way, it's like the pricing that they use for, I don't know, for baseball games, for example. You pay more for if you want to go to see a Cubs game on a Saturday night in July, I don't know if they play in July on Saturday night, but if my, it's my example. You want to play see a Cubs game on a Saturday night in July, you're going to pay more 
than if you want to go to see the Cincinnati Reds on a Tuesday in April. That's just the reality. You know, so they, they use this surge pricing, you know, where if if there's more demand, you pay more. So would something like this work around here? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Congestion pricing in Manhattan. It's the first plan like this in the United States, but it won't be the last. Would you prefer, if you accept the premise that we need to raise more revenue for the roads, would this be something that you would support? The people that want to drive on the busy roadways, they have to pay for driving on the busy roadways. We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. So glad to have you with us. Scott Warris will be in in just a couple minutes. He's filling in for John McCure this week, who is um, on a river cruise in Europe, I believe. Not not a listener cruise, but a river cruise. So um, be interesting to hear John when he comes back telling some of the stories. All right. Congest- they call it congestion pricing. And it's a form of toll roads, but it's not it's not. No, for everybody, it only applies to some of the busiest streets. And what they're doing is they're rolling it out in Manhattan. They're saying, okay, here's some of these areas in Manhattan. Let's essentially turn these into toll roads. Never been done before in the United States, but it's done in Europe. It generates a bunch of money. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Here's one of our notes. It says that... um, here, the problem is if you live on a main street, you know, you're always going to have to pay. And that's true. Um, imagine the so- and another one. Imagine the soccer mom running her kids to and from practice and school and everywhere they need to go. How much more would that cost their family? Well, that's that's a factor. Now, my guess is the way this would work is just like if you travel on the freeways, for example, and you go you go down to Illinois. A lot of people just have these these things, these electronic iPasses, you know, where you 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 load them up every month. And what happens is then when you pass through the toll road, it just deducts the money from your account. My guess is that's how this would would work. You'd probably have to set up some degree of, again, some some toll booths for the people that didn't want to do that. I guess the issue becomes, is that a fairer way to go? Now, I think this is an intriguing idea. Can you make something like this work in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or Racine, Wisconsin, or Green Bay, Wisconsin, or well, maybe Madison, Wisconsin, and State Street, but and my answer would be no, because even though we do have a degree of congestion from time to time, and some roads, I mean, get get bogged down. The truth of the matter is, we are we are not downtown Chicago, we are not downtown Washington D.C., we're not downtown. New York City. We're not Manhattan. And so I just don't think you have the volume of cars that would make something like this work. I do think this, though. I think gas tax increases and the whole I see. I think the gas tax is is fundamentally unfair because what you need to do is you need to figure out a way to make people pay based on their usage of of the roads. And what's happening nowadays is cars have gotten more efficient. You, you have, I don't know, you, you drive one of these vehicles, the hybrid car, for example, where you get 50 or 60 miles a gallon. Well, okay, you're putting just as much strain on the roadway 
um, getting 50 or 60 miles a gallon as the person that's driving the vehicle that gets 20 miles a gallon. And yet, you know, they're, you know, they're using much more gas because they've got a car that gets 20 miles a gallon. So they're having to pay more when you're really like driving more. I just don't fundamentally think that's fair. I also don't think that's a sustainable model moving forward if you need the revenue because cars are becoming more and more efficient. There is this tendency towards electric cars and things like that. The auto registrations just aren't keeping pace with that. So I think we have to start thinking outside the box. And that's why I think if you could figure out a way to implement toll roads or some form of congestion pricing, it would be a more fair way to go about all right, making sure that everybody pays their fair share if we accept the premise that you need to have more revenue for the roadways. I think it would be a fairer way to do it. I'm not sure the technology is there yet to make it work, but, you know, maybe. All right, before the program ends, I did want to just call your attention to one thing. Um, this will be in the news tonight, and it'll be in the news tomorrow. The U.S. Supreme Court is hearing arguments on on the whole concept of gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is is has to do with the way you redraw electoral districts. Every 10 years based on the census, you have to every state has to redraw districts because on the federal level there's a requirement that approximately the same number of people be in each congressional district. Well, over a 10-year period people move, so sometimes you have to readjust the boundaries. The, the law has always been that you can't redraw the boundaries to discriminate based on race or something like that. The law has never been that you can't take political affiliation into into consideration. Today, the Supreme Court is hearing arguments about whether or not partisan gender, gender gerrymandering violates the Constitution. And, you know, there's allegations about, you know, in Wisconsin, although that's not one of the cases in front of the Supreme Court. You can go broke trying to predict what the Supreme Court will do, but I'm going to go out on a limb. I think the Supreme Court is going to say once and for all that there's no constitutional problem with political gerrymandering. They're going to say that it's just, you know, the state legislatures have the right, as long as they're not violating uh, again, uh, race or something like that. They have the right to draw again partisan lines, and political affiliation is not an unconstitutional way to do it. So I, I think that's going to go a long way once that case is decided. Towards deciding the objections in Wisconsin, I think bottom line is the Supreme Court's going to rule five to four, maybe six to three, that partisan gerrymandering is okay. There's a Maryland case. There's a New Jersey. There's a Maryland case. There's a North Carolina case. I think the Supreme Court's going to say it's okay. We'll know soon. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.